changing the words, not the vibe. This is episode 19 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. And this day, this day, today, we watched Dickie Roberts, former child star, uh, starring David Spade. Who is not a former child star. Yeah, I checked. Um, Everyone else in the movie is, though. Yeah, that's made very interesting. Yeah. And uh, this movie's weird. (laughs) It is such a weird movie for a lot of different reasons. Weird is definitely the adjective I would use for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Weird in almost, like, almost a surreal way. Yeah, because there's, like, a lot of stuff in this movie that they don't follow through in, doesn't really make sense for the plot, and... It's poorly written. Yes. It's poorly directed. It's it's poorly acted. It's poorly most things. Yeah, which might be why I'm getting a little bit of that surrealism hit me. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of the issue of it for me is, like, when you're, when you're throwing at me just a... Uh, a cameo by like the entire cast of the Brady Bunch. You gotta hit me good with it. You gotta do some stuff. Not just they're just talking about Marsha over and over, which is fine. But like it's it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> they try to normalize childhood stars and the Hollywood elite while also showing how fucking weird they are, which yeah. is probably a little bit closer to the truth. But like, uh, it just didn't it didn't hit for me. It didn't hit for me either. For like I said, for a lot of reasons. Um, but before we get into all into that, let's explain that this is a podcast where we are watching all sixty Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler adjacent movies in a row every day and doing podcast episodes about them. Alex, why are we doing this? We're doing this to decide, for once and all, for once and for all. That's the better way to say it. If Adam Sandler deserves all the hate, and if there is messages and artistic merit to the films and stuff that he tends to produce and i actually have a a quick aside about this i was watching uh, uh twitch earlier while doing stuff and someone talked about uh if adam sandler movies are good or not and the chat was just going crazy about how he is the dumbest motherfucker they've ever heard and anyone who likes his movies are brain dead and you, like after billy madison nothing was good which really revitalized my, like, you know, people... I keep thinking, like, maybe people don't hate him. But then people really hate him. So... Yeah. And it was, like... <laughs> people said some abhorrent shit. They said some anger management level stuff while talking shit about Adam Sandler. Look, and, I don't necessarily like him personally. I yeah. think he's fine. I mean, he's he's probably... You know, everyone tries to be good in their own ways. I... I know that, like, Rob Schneider. Yeah. I personally don't like him. David Spade's somewhere in the middle. I'm not sure on him. Well, there's something that I just read that I'm going to just bring up now. He gave money to cops, that part? Yeah, he gave money to cops. So they used that money to buy guns. Was that before or after his assistant tried to kill him? That was after. Five years after, though. (laughs) Actually, okay. Sorry, hold on. Hold on, listen. November 29th, 2000, he was attacked by his assistant. His assistant received five years probation. In December 2005, that's when he donated money. And he's from Arizona, is where he gave money. I think it's misguided, without a doubt. Oh, yeah, But, yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> uh, if you don't know, David Spade, who is, like, what, 5'5"? Five, five? He's a small I know, dude. He's a, he's a little guy, yeah. He was attacked by his assistant, who had a stun gun. 
who was 350 pounds. Um, and David Spade called 911 while hiding in his bathroom with a shotgun pointed at the door. Uh, and didn't nothing came of it. He didn't have to like shoot anything. But that's a traumatic experience. Um, so that's messed up. Yeah, I I didn't read a lot about this case. I know that this the he only was on probation because the condition was that he sought drug uh, mm-hmm. abuse counseling and psychological help, which is I think how things like this should be done. Yes. Um. Of course, you want to you know nip it in the bud before you attack your boss. I mean, I think that this is actually kind of a interesting thing to bring up before we talk about this movie, because without a doubt, David Spade um, has been severely personally affected by drug abuse and the people around him. I mean, like he was one of Chris Farley's best friends, was doing movies with Chris Farley as his partner mm-hmm. when Chris Farley died. You know, he famously didn't go to Chris Farley's funeral because he said he wouldn't have been able to hold himself together for it. And I mean, I don't know. David Spade's relationship with drugs, but if it's anything like, you know, every other SNL cast member, he had one, probably. So, like... He he had one drug. He had a drug, at least. So it's interesting to see. Who knows? I I just read this in an article from 2006, um, or whenever the person was sentenced. No, 2001. It was Mm. updated in 2006. That... Spade said that the guy who attacked him was still a good friend and obviously mentally troubled. So I think that that is... Yeah. You know, that... He... Do do you want to say a funny thing to say? Do you know who David Spade reminds me of? No, who? He's he's Ben. He's he's this guy who will dagger you with little insults over and over. Because that's like his persona. I don't know if you've ever remember seeing him when he was kind of a star and stuff he has made fun of people all the time for fun yeah and then like if he got near him he'd be like hey we're cool it's just like i'm just hitting you with some daggers we're fine um (laughs) which like i think i know he famously did with eddie murphy um famously as if i didn't read his wikipedia page before this but that that's (laughs) what i imagine him as it's just like this little guy making fun of people but also, it's pretty charismatic and nice dude when it comes out. Yeah, to it. actually, I think that David Spade is very charismatic. Mm-hmm. I, I find him very charming on screen. Um, I I mentioned this, I think, like on the last episode of the pod, that I love Emperor's New Groove. It's one oh, of yeah. my favorite movies. Just because he does... I, he's so cute. Yeah. You uh, know, he's just a cute guy. <laughs> he, he's also uh, the little dragonfly from Spyro. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the bonus points. Huh. But anyway, um, this movie, it's a one-star Sandlayer movie. It is produced by Happy Madison. That's where the connection ends. So this this seems like just David Spade doing David Spade. He helped write it. He wanted to star in it. Um, and it's, a, yeah. I think, like, the real start of the mid-2000s unfortunate movies that are comedy movies that are a name there's this dickie roberts there's the bucky larson i think it is coming up there was the dewey cox movie which i liked but it did terribly in box offices um and there's a few i can't remember off the top of my head but these these types of comedy movies man i'm not a fan of them i don't i don't either i don't like the it's not slice of life it's like Look at this character. 
that's so interesting and they're never interesting. It's they're almost parodies of other types of movies. Like like Walk the Line, the Dewey Cox thing was it's, a parody. I thought of it was the, Walk Hard. Whatever. Isn't yeah, that I movie? guess you're right. Yeah, yeah maybe. Because Walk the Line's the real movie. Yeah. Jo- I mean yeah. it's a it's a parody. And that one does it really well. Because they do parody something that people understand, which is like a movie, mu- movie, music movie. Sorry. And and I don't know if, if it's just called Dickie Roberts. I don't know what this movie's about. Whereas, you know, the water boy I get. It's about mm-hmm. a water boy. And it's not just about a water boy. It's about like a football player and all this stuff. But like, I think you can tell the writings off just by the fact that they use the name. Yeah. Yeah. And also you can tell that they're a little bit off with their whole messaging when you look at the cover Mm -hmm. and it looks like he's like a hollywood bad boy it looks like he's getting a mugshot or something yeah and then there's the other cover which is all these this whole family sitting on a couch pushing him up and it's just zany Uh, like it's Mm. just mixed messaging it doesn't really work which makes sense for the rest of the movie uh i wanted to point out that fred wolf the director of this or the co-writer of this movie who wrote the movie with, with david spade is also a writer on um black sheep yes so i i wanted to point that out back when you were talking about drug use and mm. snl that uh, that wolf also knows you know knew chris farley and had worked davis baiting chris farley before yeah he also uh he helped write joe dirt which is interesting because joe dirt's good i, I joe i had joe dirt had problems for me yeah, but I mean, Joe Dirt is a movie. Yes, this is not a movie. Yeah, <laughs> which I think it's funny because I, I imagine people getting angry at the idea that I just refer to things as not movies. But like, you have to have a plot to be a movie. You do. You do have to have a. Well, it has to have. In, it has to have coherence in the middle. Mm-hmm. You can't just. You can't just have a beginning and an end and string a bunch of stuff in in the middle, which we'll talk about later. Let's let's yeah. get to the um the critic response. Okay, yeah, what do you think uh, critics did? What do you think audiences did? Uh, critics gave it a 30%. Audience gave it a 30%. I think that they're about equal. <laughs> no, not quite equal. Uh, critics gave it a 22%. Okay. Which is, I don't know, I, I think 30 is more fair. Audience gave it a 46%, which I think is high, but... Yeah, how many of those audience members were former child stars, though? Uh, maybe a bunch of them. Yeah. What listen to this uh review though that's positive. Child is father to the man in this often funny but just as often ham fisted untrue Hollywood story. Sorry, child is father. To the man in this often funny, but just as often ham fisted untrue Hollywood story. I know what they were trying to say, but they did not do a good job of saying it. I mean <laughs> you you can't you can't just say child is father to the man. <laughs> that's that's just it your... sounds like something went through google translate <laughs> it sounds like me trying to come up with song lyrics <laughs> child is father to the man um alex how many times did you laugh uh 24 times for a uh, 98 minute movie and they did get that full 98 minutes out of me because i laughed four times during the credits which the credits were pretty funny yeah, we'll talk about why I laughed, but also I'll point out I watched the Brady Bunch when I was like a kid, so mm. that got me. Let's recap the movie real quick because I don't think it's gonna take long. No, no. 
because uh, this movie doesn't have a lot of a plot. Uh, the movie's framed as a mockumentary, although like an e, like an e entertainment news style they, documentary. They, they call it a e true Hollywood story, which is an actual thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that framing device is quickly abandoned until the very end. <laughs> yep. Um, Dickie Roberts, uh, played by David Spade, is a former child star. If you couldn't guess that from the name of the movie, I'm sorry. Uh, whose mom abandoned him after his sitcom was canceled when he was six. Uh, he dreams of being famous again, not for the parties or the money or the women, but just to be loved again. I, I thought that that line is actually really funny because mm-hmm. they had earlier mentioned that he lost his job when he was six. <laughs> yeah, and that he was partying then. But Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so funny. Um, he works now as a valet. And in one of the opening scenes, we see him take one of the customer's cars out for a spin. Um, well, actually, it's not that scene. He he takes the car out to Alcoholics Anonymous to get an audition for this yeah. movie. This I actually, at this point in the movie, I thought it might hold up because he went to try to find Hollywood actors at AA meetings and instantly ran into Tom Arnold, which was just a like funny bit to do. Yeah. And, well, yeah, yeah, he takes the car out to a spin and, and gets a driver of a VW Beetle mad at him, like road ragey mad at him, but he drives away. And he ends up getting Brendan Fraser. I didn't know that that's how you're supposed to pronounce his name, but they were very clear about that in this movie. Unless that's like a weird joke I don't get. But yeah, Maybe. Fraser. Who knows? Well, he gets Brendan Fraser to call Rob Reiner to hook him up with an audition for Mr. Blake's Backyard. Which is an Oscar Beatty type movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Reiner says that Dickie has the perfect look, but he doesn't think he'll be able to act the part because he never had a childhood and he'll have to act like an everyday normal person for this part. Reiner says that there would have to be a miracle or that Dickie would have to relive his childhood for it to work. And Dickie takes this literally and puts out ads to hire a family for a month for $20,000. He eventually ends up at the Finney's. Where George Finney, played by Craig Bierko, has um, done this arrangement without the permission of his wife, Grace, who's played by Mary or Maureen McCormack. They have two kids, Sally and Sam, played by Jenna Boyd and Scott Tara, who Dickie bunks with. um, And they start by calling him Stranger Danger, which is true, Mm because, you know, he's sleeping in their room and everything. Anyway, Dickie basically doesn't know anything about being a person. Um, being a normal person, I should say. Like, he tries to give kids beer and stuff. He gets in trouble with the family by being a general nuisance. And uh, the final straw seems to be when he calls the fire department to get Grace to an interior design job interview, which is at a house for some reason. Even though the kids end up liking him for various reasons. I mean, they they like him because he's a bully, like, and they get bullied. And he's bullying their bullies, which is not a good message. Kind of. Uh, not just because he bullied their bullies, but I mean, he also, we see them start to like him after the slip and slide incident, but mm-hmm. again, it doesn't make any sense for reasons that we'll talk about later. I also want to point out they got sued by slip and slide because they didn't ask permission to put a slip and slide in this movie, which is hilarious. A slip and slide is just a tarp. Yeah. Down with big slip and slide, by the way. Yeah. You don't get to, anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna. Yep. Continue. <sighs> He ends up getting back the good graces of the family by convincing their mean neighbors that their rabbit is a demon returned from hell. <laughs> I'm going to give a little context to that. The dog, Popeye, 
dug, uh, they think that it killed their pet rabbit, but it turns out that the rabbit had already died and was buried in their backyard. So when they cleaned up the rabbit and put it back in the hutch and they came home, they thought something evil had happened. Mm. So they move out. Um, he also helps Sam get a date with a new neighbor girl and helps Sally with her pep team audition dance. And when I say the family here, I'm talking about Grace, Sally, and Sam, because for the most part, George is absent. He's a bad father. Um, I have never seen a movie portray the father with such blatant disdain. <laughs> yeah. Even as an evil person goatee. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even the kids don't like him. Yeah. Like, I don't even know my dad. That guy's a dick. Like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he did a good job, though, because I instantly disliked that man. Oh, yeah. But, like, partially because of his face, so. Yeah, he had bad hair, too. Yeah. Um, George wouldn't care about any of that because uh, what he cares about is getting Dickie in a commercial for his... Oh, of course, he's a car salesman. He wants him in a commercial for his car dealership. Uh, but that actually never happens. And also, he's a dick to his wife about her... He's calling her job an interior design thing. Yeah. Anyway, Dickie eventually scores the audition with Rob Reiner because his agent, Sidney, played by John Lovitz, is going to donate a kidney to Reiner after Reiner was beaten in a road rage incident um, from that VW Beetle car drivers, <laughs> the car's driver. <laughs> um, we have seen throughout the movie like little flashes of John Lovitz trying to get a hold of Rob Reiner and basically ingratiating himself to him or trying to. He does a great job. John Lovitz yeah. is like a real breath of fresh air in this. Yeah, unfortunately, he like hardly has any bearing in the story. Yeah. Dickie ends up getting the part in Blake's, Mr. Blake's backyard because he's learned how to be a real person. But when he comes back from the audition, he finds out that George has left the family for uh, Dickie's girlfriend, Sydney. Cindy, sorry, played by Alyssa Milano. Yeah. Which I didn't realize was Alyssa Milano. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, that was her. <laughs> no. She's a childhood actor, too. Yep. Um, Dickie goes to the filming in Hawaii or wherever he's going. But on the plane, he realizes that the heaven was in his own backyard, which is just the same as the plot of the movie he's going to be in. So instead of going to film, he quits that job and gives the Linny family a nice Christmas because, you know, their their dad left them and their mom doesn't have a job. He makes a sitcom about his experiences and this is when it goes back to the framing device and it, this makes him famous again and he has his whole new family get jobs on the set for whatever reason, like the girl becomes a choreographer. Why do you need a choreographer? I don't know. And uh, he gets married to Grace, who he had previously been calling Mommy this whole time, which mm -hmm. is gross. Yep. Um, and that's the end of the movie. But during the credits, there's a whole ass musical number, uh, like We Are the World type musical yeah. number with former child stars. And, and that got me good because the thing I was waiting for and I, I excitedly exclaimed that I thought was going to happen is that the middle Brady, because I no longer know their names did the changes of voice break in the song. And that's all I needed. That really, it probably honestly rose the movie 5% for me. Yeah, I was really enjoying the guy in like the blue jumpsuit and the red beret. Like going <laughs> uh, whole I think hand. that was rerun, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, so funny to watch him. My eyes were on him the entire time. He knew what he was doing. He wanted that attention. He really wanted that attention. Yeah, and that's actually uh, a theme of the movie is that 
they have all these former childhood stars and every reference in this movie is to the 80s they like are teaching dicky about toys and it's all the toys that these people would have played with as kids not like actual kids of that age as someone who was a kid of that age and would have known because in 2003 i could have told you about would I, would I have been on Yu-Gi-Oh? I would have been on Yu-Gi-Oh by then. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, they make one Yu-Gi-Oh reference. I believe that kid. But he was talking about Transformers and stuff, and that was old shit by the time I was that age. So. Yeah, and He-Man. And... Yeah. Just literally writing into the script the toys they had when they were kids, which is hilariously, like, shallow. They did no research on how kids act. I, I yeah. did not like the kids. In the, I, they were okay, fine. Okay, one thing. That I found interesting. You know the the little rhyme the girl does? It's because she was doing that between takes with her f- mom. Yeah, it felt really shoehorned in. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the most cringeworthy part of the entire movie. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. Kids don't talk like that, really. I mean, it was not put in naturally. Well, I mean, again, these kids aren't kids. They're childhood actors, which is, like, a weird thing to say. But, like, they're professionals at this point. They don't, they don't get a childhood. Which isn't good. I'm, it's just true. You know, mm-hmm. and like we should probably stop having kids and stuff. Mostly, we pro- probably should. I think the Happy Madison Productions have done well with their childhood actors. Um, given that, I think Cole and Dylan Sprouse aren't fucked up, as far as I can tell, and they're the only really childhood actors so far. But like, yo, it's real fucked up. Everything about this, which is why it's interesting to see so many childhood actors willing to come in and joke about this stuff because they make references to to the partying and the the girls and the blah 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 and the blah but like a lot of these people after this would publicly come out about the horrible shit that happened to them in hollywood and originally i did read that originally this was supposed to be a much darker comedy film that had a lot more about drug abuse in it Mm -hmm. um but they probably couldn't get that funded i mean who knows um, there's a huge difference between right now and the mid eighties. Um, oh yeah. I'm going to real warning everyone. I'm going to talk about sexual assault towards children because it's unavoidable, unfortunately. Um, but they have Corey Haim in this movie who publicly talked about the fact that he was being raped the entire time he was doing these movies and like repeat, like, and he told other people near him, and then he he started doing drugs because of that, because he he didn't really know what was going on, and you can't really figure that stuff out when you're 14. Mm-hmm. And like, there there's some weird stuff. Uh, like for I mean, of course he told the other Corey, and that kid, a child, didn't know how to handle that, and just kind of didn't because what else are you gonna do when you're 14? And, you know, you're in Hollywood and bad things are happening and you probably don't have a support system and it's the 80s. Like, yeah, just just nothing. Um, I don't think it's better now. I'm going to point out. I still think there's a lot of probably horrible shit that goes on in Hollywood and abuse of children. But as a base point of you're making a movie about childhood actors and they like originally want to make it darker. The question's why did they want to make it darker? Well, I don't like how they did, they framed this with all that going on, you know, in the background because they make it seem like the childhood, like the child stars are 
messed up and it's like a problem on them. I mean, they they do portray, portray the mom as being like an absolute horrible, awful person. Yes. But they also give very little sympathy in the movie to the stars. Like Dickie Roberts, there's there there's not a lot of sympathy given to him until the very end of the movie, it seems like. I think that's on purpose, though, because there is no sympathy in 2003 given to celebrities that used to be famous. I mean, they were making so many shows about look at these dumb idiot celebrities and where they are now. Like, Celebrity Rehab was a show, you know? Like, that is is the most predatory shit ever is... We, you want a celebrity to come back in the limelight? We're going to watch him get off drugs. Like, that idea now is the most... Dis- like, I didn't think of it much as a kid, but, like, that's the most disgusting shit I've ever heard now. I think, too, it's because these people, they're treated like commodities. They're there to make money. And there's a really good line where uh, Mary McCormick says that Dickie isn't an object for her husband to use. He's a person. And he says, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Mm-hmm. So there is this theme of like, this this person has issues and baggage due to how horribly they were treated as a child. And that's like a real trauma. They just, I don't, yeah. I don't think like David Spade in 2003 knows what you need, what he needs to get over that trauma. Um, no, and, and no, none... Like, anyone who was involved in writing this, clearly, with the final script, it doesn't show that they they were capable of analyzing that. Because it's all so trite and corny. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I, I feel like if it was written better, could have worked so well as this is how Hollywood people think this works. Even if they kept that framing of an e-Hollywood story throughout this entire movie. Yeah. And it was obviously bullshit what was happening. It would be so good. Imagine if there was a few scenes that dragged on a second too too long and you saw like Dickie uh, trying to cut the cameras. That actually, yeah. Or like in one scene, he's just like noticeably kind of drunk, but they don't bring it up. Like that, that would have been be a lot better. A, that would have been an amazing movie, actually. Did you and, learn anything more about the original script for it at all? No, just just that it was originally darker and was more about drug abuse. Interesting. Yeah, it just... Uh, it it fell flat altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the only themes that they had in it, again, they were all very Hallmark ish. This this whole movie felt very. I, I want to talk about like the the script itself and how this movie was made. Yeah. Um, the whole middle of the movie, you could take those scenes and rearrange them, and it would be no different because they did do that. By David, the way, David. Oh God, of course they did. Uh, I David can only spades. T- uh, I'll tell you after. Don't worry. Yeah, go. No, go ahead. So, um, so David Spade always wears gloves, right? That's hit one yeah. of the things that he does be- due to his eccentric personality. In the scene where he sticks up for the bullies, he's not wearing gloves. And then the next scene is when he learns to take them off. They obviously wow. just were shuffling things around. Yeah, and it really feels like that. But that also speaks to the script itself because and the directing because there is no character development for um, Dickie Roberts. Until the very end, he has almost a sudden transformation. It it goes from zero to a hundred way too fast. Uh, mm-hmm. So the whole middle, we don't build up sympathy when he's about to get kicked out of the house. We don't care because we haven't built up goodwill. 
there's 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 no emotion connected to any of this yeah it just falls flat because of that and it also feels like different movies kind of thrown together too because the beginning of the movie is so different from the parts spent with the family like the beginning of the movie when he's like playing poker and stuff and with like going to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting like that is a different movie than what we got yeah you know? the middle section is so I think the beginning and end were part of this dark comedy the entire middle section was rewritten like it had mm. to be because those fit together thematically. He's playing poker with his buddies and drinking, and they're all wanting to relive this thing. At the end, they're on this corny-ass show, and he let his friends into the show. But that middle section, just it, it don't, you don't even need it. No. There, there's, there's just a lot that's wrong with that script. What I wish that they had done um, is have that development of him really learning how to have a childhood and learning what it means to have a mom. We don't we don't see any of that development. Learning how to have a mom again, we do get a lot of these mommy issue things, but it's so convoluted between, like, they don't touch on his sense of, like, feeling abandoned by his mom. Mm-hmm. And then the mother figure in this movie, he treats like a sex object. So there's this weird Oedipal. Yeah theme to it where he's talk constantly talking about how hot the mom is and, even and to says the kids. yeah says to the kids like just forget she's your mom for a sec she's hot right and she's like Ugh, dude it's really gross and then he marries her in the end so it doesn't work as a yeah. family move it doesn't work as like a story of finding a family at all like that's like it, it just makes no sense either because there's no part where they be, started becoming romantic no there isn't in fact the opposite, because mm-hmm. he she treats him like a kid. Rightfully so. Until the end, until her husband leaves her. Like, it just feels wrong. And then, though, if you had the theme where, like, he was developing this sense of family, having him marry the mom figure in the end would also be super gross. Like, <laughs> everything falls flat for that. Yeah, there's no part of it that, like, it's cohesive and like I don't know. It, it's just wild how how disjointed those parts are just slammed together. Yeah, and I I'm not exactly sure why it's like that. Um, I think obviously a lot of the former childhood actors were willing to make jokes about themselves and even talk about the kind of darker sides of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's even hinted about with the the book. He he writes an autobiography and mm-hmm. sells it at one point. And it's hinted that he had, like, this very... I mean, it's hinted several times that he had, like, this weird, dark past. Yeah. But it's only as, like, funny aside jokes. Yeah. Um, Which is, like, kind of how a lot of people do talk about their their bad past, is make weird kind of side comments. Um, And I thought they were running down that alley of, like, he was going to make kind of not innocuous... But like uh like inane jokes about his past until like he kind of broke down about them being true. Mm-hmm. And I know they, they they cut a scene out of this movie where he does meet his mother again and he like I think they said like he said he was gonna go throw up seeing her and that he'll give her money to go home and that's it. Um because he doesn't want to see her again because she was obviously a horribly abusive person. But 
I don't know. It just it, it doesn't fit and it doesn't work. Yeah, which is sad because I think uh, when they mentioned that he writes a sitcom about his experiences, like doing this whole family thing, I thought I would actually watch this sitcom where it's a former child star who has hired a family to be his parents and his and his like siblings. Mm-hmm. I would watch that sitcom minus the dad being an absent dad. I would want the dad to be involved too. And minus the weird sex stuff with the mom. I would watch, I think that would be really funny to watch actually. Yeah, that that would be interesting. And and the way that this plot of this movie works is also very sitcom-esque. It's very episodic. Mm -hmm. Especially since like, you know, a sitcom, uh, by the end, nothing has really changed. Yeah, that's the rules. You You can't fundamentally change the sitcom by the end of an episode. Yeah. I mean, you can have the whole overall arc, but nothing has fundamentally changed. Dickie Roberts hasn't learned anything in every single scene. It's like that, you know? Yeah. Like, you could you could have a whole episode about how... Uh, you could have a whole episode about how he is helping Grace get to an interior design interview... You have a whole episode about the mean neighbors and Popeye. You could have a whole episode about the rabbit. You could have you could you could make those all different episodes. You know. Yeah, and I mean they even have. Uh, I think it's the guy who plays uh, what Greg Brady, one of the Bradys. Um, he's constantly just saying like, "Hey, you want the retainer from episode blank blank? I have the actual football that hit Marsha in the nose." Um, yeah. And stuff like that. So, like, they know that this episodic nonsense stuff is what sitcoms are about. Yeah, but instead we got an anger management sitcom. Yeah, in real life, <laughs> which is very, very depressing. Yeah. I want to talk about one scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I forgot to mention it. The gross one? Yep, the gross one. Um, again, uh, the warning for our listeners, I'm going to talk about the sexualization of children in Hollywood. At the beginning of the movie, like, not the beginning, but, like, when he moves into the family, because the beginning is actually pretty long. Anyway, uh, when when he's with the family, he learns that Sally has this girl in school that she doesn't like. Um, and we see this girl eventually when it's time for the pep team auditions, and they do, like, a dance to a song. So this, this girl does her pep dance to I Want to Be Bad. Um, and it is extremely sexualized. Like, her dance is... She's supposed to be, like, 11. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And the actress playing her, if she's not that age, she certainly looks it. It was the most uncomfortable scene I've had to sit through in a movie. At least we got the audience, like, and the judges. We're all they disgusted horrified. by it. Which yeah. I, I think is probably, like, a throwback to the original script because, like... The sexualization of children in Hollywood is a real thing. Yeah. And, like, having normal people disgusted by it is a good thing. And then you see her parents are ecstatic over it, which is... Ugh. Yeah, it's it's the idea that parents basically sell their children to this work. It's it's not... You, you hear so many stories of these kids who were in movies and, and TV and music and how they felt like they had no choice in the matter. It's just awful. And it's unfortunate that this movie didn't really touch on those themes in a meaningful way because it could have been interesting. But maybe, you know, they were thinking this is um, this is a time in the United States when these movies were coming out where I mean, things were really grim 
and people watched a lot more comedies and maybe dark comedies they were told like by the producers like nah we're not gonna fund that yeah i mean that that could be very true i'm not i'm not sure and also i think while i do understand like being the room it's kind of a thing where like you you just don't make the movie then wait you're all rich like fucking wait (laughs) yeah well not that everyone in hollywood is rich you know there's people who make less than enough money working on movies well, the producers but the producers can put out whatever shit they want That's... yeah they could have done better yeah uh, this is also the second movie that we've seen with david spade where he plays a person who had just an awful awful childhood mm-hmm. and kind of uh doesn't come to full terms with it he, yeah. he does better in joe dirt but not necessarily the whole way i mean he could he tries to kill himself when he realizes how bad his childhood is in that movie so yeah I looked it up because I was I wanted to see if there was anything in David Spade's background that would hint at this. And I learned um, from an interview with The Hollywood Reporter that from his memoir, Almost Interesting, that he grew up pretty poor, mm-hmm. that his dad wasn't around. Um, and his mom, um, you, you know, she had to work to support three kids and they would just like wander around the Arizona desert and shoot things with their pistols and rifles and shotguns, he and his brothers. And in the like the reading that the Hollywood Reporter is talking about, they <laughs> here's the line from it. it says the 51-year-old comic laughed at the absurdity and sarcastically stated, "It was a little extreme, but it worked. We did that a few times a week, but we made it, and if you all live, it doesn't look that bad." Interesting. And then I also found from barnesandnoble.com 20 little-known facts about David Spade from his new memoir. So they would go into the desert and catch rattlesnakes with tennis rackets. Very dangerous, especially considering in the memoir they said that they had to walk to the Chevron station to use the quarter to call his mom in case of an emergency. Hmm. That, And that his single mom couldn't afford childcare, so like literally... His mom would just drop him off in the desert with guns and bag lunches to hike. Like, interesting. When they were, like, when he was, like, eight. Yeah. I mean, like, I I was left home alone at an age that people probably are uncomfortable with a lot now. Um, no, but I mean, I, I was left home, home too. My, yeah. Both my parents worked. But I get it. I had an older brother, and we would play in the woods and the swamp. But, like, I grew up in Vermont. There was no dangerous animals there, really. Um, no. And like, you weren't playing with guns. I mean, okay. a few years later I was, so yeah. <laughs> um, I did get a slingshot taken away from me by a cop, though. So I won that shit at the fair, too. That was legally mine. <laughs> but uh, uh, Yeah, I mean, I can I can just see how, how David Spade can probably empathize with people who had pretty rocky childhoods, especially growing up poor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing to be ashamed of growing up poor. Um, and I think that it's interesting that he chose to be the, (laughs) he chose to make this character one that is, I mean, he's poor in the movie, but he had like this affluent kind of childhood instead. I think that's. Yeah. I mean, Joe Dirt is more true to something he would have actually experienced. And the inverse of this movie, Mm -hmm. because in this movie, he was abandoned by his, his, uh, his mom. Um, when he was a kid, 
Um, and so the same thing in Joe Dirt, but in Joe Dirt, he only gets fanfare and attention when everyone finds out about his story. Whereas this one, he's trying to get fanfare and attention. You know how it's like kind of reverse of those two plots. I think that's, it's just very interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that this is something that he wants to revisit a lot. Um, yeah. And, and quite honestly, hasn't gotten out completely. There's something, (laughs) there's something David Spade wants to say. I'd, I'd like to hear what it is, I think, because I, I think this movie was just badly written, badly directed, didn't work. But, like, it was a more interesting idea than I thought going in. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about, or can I get into my deep lore bit? Yeah, in your notes you have why Alex was right that one time, a redemption story, and I don't know what that means. So... <laughs> Can you enlighten everyone in the movie Mr. Deeds? Could you uh, just real quickly tell people what you edited out of that? Which I thank you for um, still, but. Oh, I, I edited out when you talked. You you were defending the billionaire when I was saying that the billionaire guy who died was not a great person. And you kept like defending this fake billionaire. And I was shocked about it. And I was like, why, Alex, are you? trying to use Sherlockian logic on this. Yes. And it turns out that I'm a brain genius because, hey, (laughs) can you tell me the plot of the movie that he was trying out for in this? Oh! (laughs) It is the same billionaire who finds heaven in his backyard, literally, and when the love of his life, Esmeralda, the same character from Mr. Deeds, dies, he gives away everything to be with her in his own backyard living in a shack the billionaire mr deeds killed himself to be with the person he loved he climbed a mountain to try to find heaven (laughs) i don't think that's really what happened but okay (laughs) Uh, he was searching for heaven he just didn't know this is his own backyard that um, is so funny. Yes, that's great extended lore it, with Mr. Preston Blake. It is interesting that, yeah, the billionaire Blake is the same Blake going after the same Esmeralda who he fell in love with. Was that her name? I thought her name was Conchita for some reason. What? I thought that the maid's name was Conchita. In Mr. Deeds? Yeah. Consuela. Is Esmeralda the person from Emperor's New Groove? No, Esmeralda is from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. What's what's the mean lady from Emperor's New Groove's name? Um, Isma. Oh, I'm mixing them all up. That's okay. Yeah, but I think I think that you're right though, because that is about. I mean, the Blake's the same, and they're both billionaires. Yeah. I, I got I got mine flooded with the, the names, um, but it, it it seems to be the same story. I hated that fake plot for the movie. I rolled my eyes so hard. I mean, they were purposely making a dumb Oscar bait movie. Finding the literal heaven in your backyard is hilarious. Yeah. Ugh. But yeah, I... I Yes, that is a redemption story for you, Alex. Yeah, luckily you already cut it out, so there's no recorded history of me defending a billionaire. But at least I do know that love <laughs> is true. Like, God said it was true, so... Other than that, uh, Dickie Roberts wears gloves through the whole movie because he's afraid to touch anyone and germs till he takes them yeah, off. Yeah, and they, they never really get into that either. It's just like a weird thing. This this movie, it's... The, the problem is... It's disjointed. What are we watching tomorrow? I think it might be a good movie. And it's uh, 51st Dates. 
Yay! I love that movie! I don't remember it very well. Although I obviously remember the premise. Um, this is a one-star Sandlayer film where Adam Sandler um, does love with Drew Barrymore. Does Pre- love. Presumably. Presumably. Ooh, that's not a word. 50 times does it. 50 I, times. I would be willing to to raise up the Sandlayer stars. I know that's your domain, but because it's with Drew Barrymore, I think that's important. I mean, no, you're you're getting uh you're getting outside influence on this pristine scaling system. Just because Twitter <laughs> had a fight with Drew Barrymore for Jennifer Aniston doesn't mean it changes anything about this movie. I guess it was kind of it, it's slightly produced by. We can give it two stars. It's produced by Happy Madison. Oh, it is produced by Happy Madison, though? Well, in part by Happy Madison, which is what I realized is any movie with Adam Sandler is produced by Happy Madison, too, because he just does it. It's also produced <laughs> by Drew Barrymore's company. So I don't well, I don't think, hey, I don't think producers do anything. They just give money. It's just has, like normal capitalists. Has, any, has anyone come on this conspiracy? I don't think producers do anything. Wait, are producers like movie landlords? I think they might be movie landlords. I'm really looking forward to watching this movie because I have been disappointed by the last two. Um, and I, I have very fond memories of Fifty First Dates. And I just like the rom-coms, you know, with Adam Sandler in them that are just like actual rom-coms where the romance is developed. And I'm excited for a much more important reason. Um, this is the first of the films that people have so rudely said is Adam Sandler's excuse to hang out in tropical locations. And let's see if he's actually in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can follow our podcast on Twitter at Laugh at Him Pod, and you can see our games at wannabegames.com. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash wannabegames for both our games and this podcast, but I recommend you donate instead to The Bail Project and help people who are fighting for racial justice and um, for defunding the police and um, all of that. S- send your money to them instead. You can see me tweet about that stuff at, at Joska. And you can see me on Twitter at Kitty Crusade. And uh, I watched a YouTube video today about how comedy movies don't um, hold up well after the test of time. And they were talking about cliche jokes. And Alex, one of them was check, please. And do you know what the other one was? Take my wife, please. Exactly. I can't remember what it is anymore. 